preach, you know, 50 sermons a year trying to get people to go out there and do something for God. Well, we got a church full of people doing stuff for God in huge ways. Serving, teaching, proclaiming Christ, ministering uh, around, the, around this region, many countries. Uh, and that really is what makes up our fellowship, our body. Uh, people who are serving 24-7, going above and beyond the call of duty, making great sacrifices for the name of Christ and for ministry. And uh, that's a real blessing, and it makes pastoring a church like this very fun. And it's great to be a part of, uh, and together be a part of what God is doing in so many uh, ministries and ways here in, in, in this region. Um, but what, is the, what does this a passage like this tell us about ministry to and in the body of Christ? What does it tell us about what we're supposed to be as a church in relationship to each other? Uh, do we have a responsibility to minister to each other? Uh, since we're in full-time ministry, are we exempted from serving in the church? Is the church just something we show up at once in a while and hopefully it makes us feel good so we can go out there and do our ministry? Or would this passage, would Paul have something in mind that even though we're in full-time ministry, we have a role or a place, a ministry here within the body to each other? Uh, those are questions I've wrestled with. Those are questions that as elders and leaders we've talked about a lot. Uh, to complicate things, most people here are in some kind of an organization. And in many respects, a lot of these or- organizations function in some ways like a church. Uh, does that make them the church? Does your service at work you know, get you off the hook from service in the community of faith? Uh, when you stand before God, can you, you know, show him a note from your boss that says, well, I got paid for serving here, so I was exempted from serving there. Okay, is that going to fly? Well, those are questions that I think we want to look at, and I don't know that I have an answer, and after five years, I'm still trying to figure this all out. But uh, let's see what Paul says about the body life, what his biblical picture was of the body and how it should work. And it's real simple. Uh, it's not complicated. It's a great analogy that paints itself as really self-explanatory. So let me just go through real briefly four main points that he makes. Uh, first of all, he says that we are one body. Verses 12 and 13, he says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit. We have all received or drank of that same spirit. We're one body. Uh, bottom line is we are not individuals. We're not private followers of Christ, ultimately we are corporate. Ultimately we together make up the body of Christ. Uh, One unit with many diverse and very unique parts, uh, much like the human body. Uh, We're made up of very complex parts and components and systems that make one body. Uh, Well, what does that mean? Well, basically uh, it boils down to this. Our body is all these many parts unified and that it works towards accomplishing one goal and one purpose. Okay, right now, my purpose for existing at this moment in time is to be giving this message, right? And so I'm talking with my mouth, and words are coming out, but it really is a whole body exercise. I'm standing, I'm very thankful that my feet are kind of staying in one place. My wife tells me that sometimes I rock, but hopefully they're staying still. Uh, even though they may not want to be here, they're not leaving. They may be going, this is what I don't want to do this, 
I'd rather leave. They're staying here, and they're supporting me. You know, my, my lungs are providing air for my mouth to speak. My stomach did its job this morning. I drank my 12 cups of coffee, essential requirement for preaching, and it somehow got that caffeine in me, so I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. It's a good thing. Uh, you know, the heart is pumping blood to my body, so my brain works. Uh, my eyes mostly work with the help of glasses, so I can read my notes because my brain can't remember all this stuff. Somehow it all works together in my body, and out comes these words. And hopefully the Holy Spirit uses that to communicate His truth. It's a whole body exercise. Well, likewise, we as the body of Christ become a body when we are together cooperating on one purpose and goal. That's what makes us one. We're many, many parts, but when we cooperate together for one goal and one purpose, we become a body. Uh, Our body can be uh, focused on many different goals and, and sometimes different parts of the body will have front stage. Right now it's my mouth this morning, if I had, which I did, and if I got up and in love fixed breakfast for my wife, my hands would have been more the focus. Still a whole body exercise, but if I'm cooking eggs, I'm using my hands more. Uh, it works together for the focus of one purpose and goal. Uh, and for that to work effectively in the body of Christ, that one purpose and goal must be set by the headship of Christ. We become one body when Christ is head. Now, we can be unified around other things. Uh, Sometimes different parts of our body scream for attention, and we may orchestrate our body to meet that one need. Uh, At our children's home, uh, one of our littlest ones, little Nuki, she's about two and a half years old. Uh, She lost her mom and her dad. (coughs) Has some interesting issues as a result of her being um, orphaned. And one of them is that she deals with things by eating. And uh, she is organized around one, one goal and purpose, and that is food. Okay, probably not the healthiest order of her life, but everything for her is about eating. And if there's food around, watch out, because she's going to down it. Uh, same thing could be true in the body of Christ. Sometimes one member can scream so loudly that it controls and grabs all the attention of the whole body. But what we want is to be unified in one purpose and goal, not around one body part or one uh, screaming, um, angry part, but where Christ is head, and we together are working to fulfill His work and His purpose in the world, cooperating together. Um, there is great, really is great beauty in, uh, in the unity of diversity. You know, uh, one of the things that causes differences and conflict and problems in the church is that we are so different. We see things differently. We think about things differently. Even in a marriage relationship with a husband and wife, just two people, uh, you know, a lot of times, at least in our marriage, we don't always agree on, on a lot of things because we see the world differently. And uh, sometimes I ask God, God, why didn't you just make us all alike? But God loves diversity. And one of the great pictures of that is a rainbow. You know, we see light, and actually we don't see light, it's invisible, but we see it as it reflects off things. But once in a while, when God creates a rainbow, you see the beam of light broken down into its various parts. And all the colors of the spectrum of light are broke down into the rainbow. Uh, What light does for us is it, it lights up the world so we can see. But in addition to that, the variety of 
of light, of colors and light, make it so that the world comes alive with color. If the rainbow were only red, it means that everything in the world will, would be only red. Have you ever played with Photoshop? You know in Photoshop you can take and you can play with a little color slide on your pictures. You can make it more blue or more red or more green. Well, imagine if you made your picture all one color. What it does is it just washes it out, doesn't it? It makes it not beautiful. God loves the diversity of, of variety, and the beauty of diversity. The reality is that we all have a unique way that we reflect God's glory. If we were all the same, we would all reflect God's glory in the same way. It would be boring. God loves that each of us has a unique way of reflecting and shining His glory. And so Paul says there are many, many parts, very diverse, very unique, but together we form one body. Uh, And he says that we have been made members together of this one body through Christ. Uh, baptized through His Holy Spirit into regeneration through the work of Christ. We are family because we have been made new by the person and work of Christ. There's anything, as Paul spoke of earlier in, in Corinthians, that unifies us. It's this truth that we all owe our salvation to the person and work of Christ. We all come to this community equal as people who have been forgiven and made new in Christ. Um, so that's the first part. He says we are, we are one body. Very diverse, very many parts, but we are together to display unity in purpose and goal as we accomplish uh, the, the, the work that God has for us under the headship of Christ. Secondly, though, he says that we are many parts. Uh, we are many, many unique, distinct Uh, individual parts. And in verse 14 through 17 he says this, he says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? Well, of course not. And if the ear says, I'm not a part because I'm an eye, I'm not an eye, would that make it any less? Of course not. Suppose the whole body were an eye, how then would you hear? Or the whole body, just one big ear, how could you smell anything? Uh, we are many parts by God's design. And, uh, you know, we have talked as elders and leaders, you know, should we have membership? Should we have church membership? And maybe you come from a church where they have church membership. Um, well, when you look at what Paul talks about here, really, membership is not an op- option, or it's not optional, I should say. And it's really not even a choice. Uh, you are a member, a limb, a part, an organ of the body of Christ. Not by your choice, not by your choosing, it is assigned to you. In fact, he says that God has put the members together according to his own design. Membership isn't really an option. You are a member. Now, you could be a lame member, and you could be dead weight that just hangs there and doesn't do anything, and that some other member has to orchestrate. But you are a member of the church. You are a part of the body, whether you want to or not. Uh, You don't become a member by coming forward, by going to some membership class, by getting some little piece of paper that says, I'm a member. You're a member because you were born through Christ into his body. Everybody's a member. Some churches may have formal membership on top of that, but that's all secondary. Every person, if they are part of Christ, is a member of his body, which makes you automatically a member of the church. What does that look like at CCF? Well, 
If you come here two consecutive Sundays, you're a member. Right? It's pretty much how it works here. Because like some people are only here like, you know, two months, so it's gotta happen really fast. Uh, well I don't know if that's true. But the point is if you let's put it this way. There's no such thing in God's plan as, well, I'm just a regular attender. There's no such thing as just a regular attender. You're either part of a community where you are attending and fellowshipping and you are a member of that body. Or you are not. You're a member somewhere else. You're connected somewhere else. You're fellowshipping somewhere else. Uh, Each part belongs. Each part has a place. Each part has been fitted by God as a member of a community. Um, And he says just that. He says that uh, every part belongs, every part is a, is a part, and it's been uniquely equipped for ministry. None of us possess all the gifts. None of us is an eye, an ear, a foot, and a hand. Each of us is a unique part of the body of Christ. And being a member doesn't mean we lose our identity or we, we become indistinct in who we are as a person. In fact, what Paul highlights here is that Being a part of this body means that we bring to it our own unique personality and talents and abilities and gifts. Each of us has something to contribute to the whole. We are many parts, but each part has a very specific God-assigned job to do, a ministry within the body. And that goes for young and old alike. If you are in Christ, if you uh, have put your faith in Him, you are a part of the body and you have something to contribute. Um, we don't all do the same job. Not all of us are hands, not all of us are eyes, not all of us are mouths. But just because you're not the upfront guy or what, you know, the hand or the foot doesn't mean you're not a part. What this means is this, that the body depends on all of its parts. Body life means that everybody has a job and the whole body is dependent on each part doing its job. Uh, it means that, well, it, it means this. It means that the church should not be full of seeing eye dogs. Okay? What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes in real life, when certain organs or parts don't work well, we compensate by bringing in extra support. For example, if a person is blind and their eyes are not working, you can get a seeing eye dog to help make up for that loss. Well, what's happened in churches, I believe, too often is this, that instead of, instead of seeking every part of the body to be doing its work, instead of looking towards the, the body as a whole to be ministering, what we see is ministry deficits and we decide that the only way to do that is to hire full-time ministers, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, I think it's biblical that we set aside certain people with certain gifts so that they can use those gifts in full-time service to the body. But the problem comes when those people become substitutes for everybody else doing their job. Uh, You know, we have a pastor. He does ministry. We just show up for the show. We just cruise while he does the work. Okay? Uh, We have a youth pastor. Therefore, nobody else in the church has to be concerned or worried about youth because we have a seeing eye dog. So I don't have to operate. The reality is that everybody still has a job. 
just because we have a full-time youth pastor doesn't mean you may not also be called to do youth ministry. That God may not bring into your life specific youth who need your encouragement and mentoring and blessing and instruction. The, the, the point is that all of the gifts, all of the parts are necessary for the healthy formation of each part. Uh, we are specialized in ministry, but that doesn't mean that our specialized gift only gets used in one place. You may have ministry with many age ranges. You may have ministry in many different venues. You may be able to use or ought to be able to use your gift in many different settings. Um, so all of its parts need to work. All of its parts need to be effective and active. And uh, no such thing as seeing eye dogs. So the question is, what is your job in the church? What is your part in the body? And are you, are you doing that? Are you, are you consciously aware of your God-given assignment to minister to the body of Christ? Not just outwardly to reach the world, but inwardly to serve and minister to those people who make up your body uh, that you are a part of, the body of Christ. So the second thing. Third thing he says is basically we are all interdependent. One body, many parts, and these many parts are interconnected, interdependent. Uh, in verses 20 through 21 through 25 he talks about this. He says, The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And in fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard with less honor are those we clothe with special care. Um, the, every part, every person, every member uh, at CCF is important. Uh, there are no optional parts. Okay, in the church there are no appendixes. You know, the appendix doesn't apparently do anything. No appendixes in the church. Every part's important. It's vital. It's necessary. And it's not necessary only for outward ministry, but what Paul is saying here is it is, it is necessary for the health and strengthening and equipping of the whole body. Everybody has a place. We need every part. Uh, you know, little babies are great illustrations of this, of how the whole body is, is, is necessary to experience life. You ever seen a little baby when it sees something at once? Across the room, it sees it with its eyes and some rattle or some toy. It's excited, giggles, starts crawling over to it, grabs the toy with its hand, shakes it, listens to the sounds it makes, bangs it on its head, uh, ultimately sticks it in its mouth because everything has to go in the mouth, right? Uh, at some point squeals with joy because of the way it feels and the touch and the texture of it all. You know, babies, it's a whole, whole body experience, right? The same thing really is true in the body of Christ. We as a whole body have to experience together our life in Christ. Every part has a place and is necessary. Um, our own spiritual growth and our own spiritual development relies on the function of the whole body. 
Discipleship is not something just people who stand up in front or teachers do. It is a whole body experience where all of us should be ministered to by the full range of gifts within a body. Um, And I really do believe that you cannot be a healthy, mature, whole Christian unless you are plugged into the extent that the whole body is somehow ministering to you, either directly or indirectly. Um, The problem is that in our, often, let me say, our Western cultures, we have become so individualistic and so independent that we don't really recognize our need for other people. In fact, if you were to be honest with yourself, uh, at times in your life when you are struggling in your spiritual walk, maybe you kind of hit a plateau and your spiritual walk is just kind of, you know, just not going anywhere, or you are dealing with, uh, you just feel like in your ministry you're not as effective as you want to be. Or maybe uh, in your own walk with Christ it's just not as deep and significant as you would like for it to be. When you hit those places, what is your typical solution to the problem? Well, I know for me it works like this. I usually think to myself, man, I just need to work harder. I need to, I need to get a handle on this. I need to get more disciplined in my life. I need to get more organized. I need to spend more time with God. Now, those things may all be true, and for me, they probably are all true, but is that all that you really need? See, when we, when we approach problems with that attitude, what we are saying is this. It's just me and God, and I am the ultimate solution to every problem in my life. If things are not going well, I just got to get it together. I got to take responsibility. I've got to make it happen. But is that really biblical? Well, I'd say Paul would say, that's not true. Maybe the reason you're struggling is because you have isolated yourself from the body of Christ and you have not allowed other people to have influence and ministry in your life. Now, some people will argue at this point, they'll say, well, yeah, but aren't we ultimately responsible for our own life? Aren't we ultimately responsible before God for our own spiritual growth and development? Absolutely. You are responsible. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to blame your spiritual failure or your lack of spiritual growth on your mom or your dad or your pastor or your boss or your wife or your husband. You are responsible. But part of that responsibility is being bright enough to know when you need help. Okay? Imagine, imagine a student. Is a student ultimately responsible for their own education? I believe they are. Uh, and, and we teach that. When a kid doesn't turn their paper in on time, we hold them responsible. But for them to be responsible, does it, does it mean that they, that they swear off all help from other people? Does the student take his pile of books into his bedroom, shut the door for the whole term, and say, I'm responsible, I've got to do it on my own? No, they don't do that. In fact, if they did that, it, at some schools they would fail because they didn't show up for class, right? Part of being responsible means plugging yourself in the classroom, showing up in the community of learning, getting assistance from the teacher, letting the teacher guide and instruct in your life, cooperating with other students, being a part of the school environment, working with other students. Part of being responsible is being part of the group and letting those who have abilities teach you as you go through the process of learning. The same thing is true in our spiritual life, taking responsibility for our own spiritual 
walk in progress means being smart enough, responsible enough, taking the initiative to be part of a community that helps us grow. So we need every part ministering to us. But conversely, every part needs us. We have a role to play in the body of Christ. We have a ministry. We have something given by God for the benefit and building up of the church. Just as you need the ministry of others in your life, the people in this room and in the church at large need the gifts that you bring to the body of Christ. Um, the truth is, uh, you know, we need you. We need uh, all of you to be serving and ministering and using your gifts. Um, so every part is important. And really Paul goes on to say that really every part is, is valuable. And he gives this uh, great picture that you know, not all body parts are, are out there for the public. Uh, and kind of delicate. I like the New Living really kind of cloaks some of the language. The King James is much more direct. You know, there, there are some parts you just don't show everybody for a good reason. Because uh, they're not public. We cover up some parts. Well, what's Paul talking about here? Well, I think he's saying simply this, that just because a gift or a person is not public in their ministry doesn't mean they're not valued. Uh, you know, a lot of times we look at the people in front, the worship teams, the pastor, the people that are visible, and we tend to honor those as the more important parts of the body. Paul says that's not true. In fact, he says we need to be careful to give extra honor and extra attention to the parts that are less visible, the parts that don't belong in front. When we say that everybody has a part and a, and a ministry, it doesn't mean that, you know, next Sunday I'm going to ask you to come up and say something in front. Some people, that would just, just unnerve them, you know, to get up in front. It's just not where everybody wants to be. And that's not what it means. Some parts and some gifts operate very quietly, behind the scenes, very, very much, uh, as it were, invisible, uh, not, not in a way that everybody knows what's going on. Prayer warriors, those who come alongside and encourage somebody who's hurting, uh, those who serve silently and quietly in ways that oftentimes are overlooked. Uh, Paul says we need to make sure we give honor, especially to those weaker points. So here's the moral of this story. Don't, don't praise too much the people up front. You know, they already get enough attention. You know, us guys up front already, already get too much ego. You know, don't honor them. Instead, look to honor those who are, uh, who are not so visible, who are not so often seen. Uh, our crew of sound guys who show up every morning, and PowerPoint guys, and the people who count the offering, uh, the people who work in the Sunday school especially in the preschool and in the nursery. Talk about silent service, important jobs, um, serving and ministering in ways that are not always public and seen, but extremely important. Those prayer warriors who uphold the church and the service and its leaders in prayer, extremely important. We should honor those. Um, all are important. Last thing he shares is he says that really, you know, there's great fun in community, living in community. That life is really about being in community. And he says simply this. He says, um, 
if one part suffers, verse 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Now all of you together are Christ's body, and each of, one, each of you is a separate and necessary part. Uh, it's not all just work. It is really about being a community where, where life happens, and where our joys and our sorrows, uh, our struggles and our victories are shared together within the body. He says, if one part suffers, we all suffer. And that is more true than we often realize. Uh, When one part of our body is going through difficulty and struggle, it affects us. And it probably ought to affect us more, a lot more than it does. Likewise, when we share joy together, we should all celebrate together. Um, It's about living life as part of a community and about sharing our struggles together Uh, the good and the bad. Well, that's in a nutshell what Paul's talking about here. We're one body, many parts, uh, deeply interdependent on each other, even though we are individuals, uh, and sharing life together as a community. Well, what does that mean in a place like CCF? Uh, Coming back to the original question, how does that relate to us specifically? Uh, can we just kind of exempt ourselves from all of this? Or do we have some call or some responsibility to, to live out these verses? Um, well, first of all, I think it's good to ask, what, what did Paul really have in mind here? Um, one of the things I've, I've noticed and observed, just speaking very honestly, working here, talking to a lot of missionaries, a lot of full-time Christian workers, is this idea that, that the body of Christ is some kind of vague, obscure, universal, floaty, cloudy thing. You know? It's like, yeah, we're all part of the church, we're all part of the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is something that's kind of out there. It's universal. I'm part of the universal church. Uh, and I believe in the universal church. I believe that we are together, the body of Christ, worldwide. But is that what Paul was talking about here? But do you have in mind this kind of vague, you know, you're part of the body. And all across the Roman Empire, you're part of the body. And, you know, you're in this cosmic connection kind of thing. Is that what Paul had in mind? I don't think so. I think when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he was specifically thinking about the church at Corinth that got together on Sunday nights at Bob's house for church. You know, Bob the Corinthian guy. You know, whatever his name was. Uh, this group of people who met together in regular weekly fellowship. I believe he had in mind a group of people who were a tangible, uh, physical body of people who met together. One of the signs of that, or clues of that, comes actually in chapter 11, where Paul talks about taking communion. The passage that right precedes this. And if you were here when we talked about that a couple weeks ago, Paul makes it very clear that they were dishonoring the Lord's Supper because of the way they treated each other as the body of Christ. Paul took it very seriously. And it's in that context that chapter 12 unfolds where he's still talking about their assembling together as a body, as a church, as a local fellowship of believers. I believe that every person ought to be connected to a local fellowship of believers. And it just amazes me 
And one of the things that I just find mind-boggling, uh, that in this community, how many people are not plugged into a local fellowship of believers? And you know, a lot of people say, well, it's just because you're a pastor, it's what you do, you're just overly sensitive about this whole church thing. I don't think I'm overly sensitive about what the Bible teaches about it. I think Paul had in mind that the church, the body of Christ, is a group of people who meet together consistently and regularly for the purpose of building community of faith that worships God together. Now that can happen in any kind of number of settings. CCF would just be one example. There's house churches, there's other churches. Some people are plugged into Thai churches and other kinds of um, national ministries. But I do believe it, it means that, that to be part of a body of Christ is to be plugged into a local fellowship of believers where you live. Okay, now if Ananias and Sapphira came from Rome to Ephesus, they cannot say, well, you know, we're part of the church at Rome, so we're not going to get plugged in at Ephesus. You've got to get plugged in where you live. Okay, where you live and work and breathe and drive around and have relationships. Uh, I believe Paul has this picture that for the body of Christ to work, it takes getting together once in a while. Kind of a crude and gross illustration. But, you know, I couldn't sever my hand and send it to, back to the States and say, well, I don't really need my hand here, so I'm going to have my, my hand do ministry in Florida. Okay? It doesn't work that way. A body, by its very nature, is, is connected to a certain time and place and space. So I think that's what Paul's talking about. Not in some vague, universal sense. Uh, he's talking about a place where rich people are hands-on blessing poor people, which was a big issue in Corinth. They had separated themselves, the rich from the poor, and the wealthy thought they didn't have any responsibility for the poor people in their church. In order to take hands-on care for people, takes physical presence. It takes connecting. Um, Secondly, uh, even though the focus is certainly a local group of people who meet together regularly for worship, it's bigger than just what happens on Sunday morning. Okay, we're identified as part of a local group because we get together once a week. Uh, in Corinth, they may have got together actually a bit more often than that. We don't know. Uh, but in our culture, we get together for church. We do church once a week, like it or not. Right? We've got to show up at least once during the week. Uh, but what Paul has in mind here is much, much more than just that weekly meeting. Okay, it all can't happen in, in two hours on Sunday morning. Body life... Takes, uh, must take a life outside of just what happens when people show up on Sunday morning. It has to be bigger than just our Sunday morning worship service. And it should at some level filter down to day-to-day life where we are in relationships where our gifts are being used for mutual ministry and encouragement day by day, day by day within a community of believers. Um, so that means it has to be beyond just for formal meetings. Uh, it is formal meetings, and certainly within the context of public worship on Sunday morning, we hope that a lot of people are using their gifts. But it's not a good format for all the gifts to be used. Uh, there are a lot of gifts that need to take place in quiet corners where there are uh, private, intimate, personal relationships. Um, it has to happen in daily life when we get together over coffee 
when we get together in small groups, when we get together informally to pray and encourage one another. Uh, ultimately, I really believe that the life in the body and ministering to each other is the only way we can fulfill John's command, Jesus' command in John chapter 15. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, uh, verse 12. Jesus says, I command you to love each other. He's speaking to his disciples. I command you to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. That's no small command. (laughs) If we're to love each other the way that Jesus loved us. And here's how you measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you obey me. I don't call you servants anymore because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love each other. He says it about, I think, five more times in this passage. Love each other. Love each other, love each other, love each other. How do you love each other? Well, I believe it's virtually impossible to do it effectively and as God designed outside of the body of Christ. God put us into a body as a place where we are to love each other. And it's significant that Jesus put this command above uh, the commission to reach the world. He says you need to love each other first, then out of that context of a loving relationship as a body, as a community, then you go out and you save the world. You turn it upside down. You reach it for Christ. What does that look like at CCF? Well, um, I believe that while we have responsibilities to do ministry and job and and serve uh, outside the body of Christ, I believe Paul makes it very clear that we also have a duty and a responsibility as God's children to care for each other. As I, I say a duty and a responsibility, I want it to be like a job. Like, you know, Tom, I really don't like you, but I have to, I have to do something for you, so, you know, what do you need? Okay, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it needs to be a joy of service. It needs to be something we do because we genuinely love and care for each other. Because the people that are in this room mean something to us. The people that, we, that are part of our home fellowship groups are people that we love and care for as family. Okay? Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it in corporate worship on Sunday. Those who have public gifts need to use them. Those who have more private gifts... There are a lot of things that need to happen around worship, behind the scenes to make it all happen so that people can be fed and nourished and blessed and worship together. Uh, where you are able, you need to be using your gifts on Sunday morning, big and small. Uh, secondly, I believe on Sunday mornings, church needs to be more than just a worship event. It needs to be a community event. At some level, it means showing up and actually talking to people. Painful as it is, I know. I know that for some people, talking to other people is, is just hard. 
Okay, some of you, it's no big deal. You can talk to everybody under the sun. It's not a problem. Others of you, it takes a bit of work. And you've got to kind of break out of your shell, and you've got to like walk up and say to somebody, Hi, my name is Tim, and shake their hand. It's amazing what a handshake does. Everybody try it. On the count of three, shake somebody's hand. One, two, three. Okay. Very good. Nobody screams. Okay, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Nobody screams. Uh, it's not too painful. It's amazing what human touch does to start breaking down walls and building community and opening doors and opening hearts. When we gather on Sunday morning, I know that it's hard because people come and go out of this fellowship. People uh, are here for a short time and they're gone. I know it's hard. And I know the temptation is to say, ah, they're not going to be here. Two months they're going to be gone, so I'm not going to make the effort. I'm not going to take the time to care about them. Okay? God wants us to be people who are welcoming, who are building community, who are fellowshipping, no matter how short-lived that might be. Where we are people who are warm towards each other, at our worship event, where it's a worship event, it's a community event. That's why sometimes we break up and we pray for each other. We get in small groups. That's why we have donuts. And I can't wait till August when the donuts come back because food and community somehow go together. Sharing together. That's why, you know, after church on Sunday, if you're going to go out to somewhere and eat lunch, don't go alone. Take somebody with you. Connect. Okay, it doesn't mean you have to become friends for life. But maybe on that day, for those few moments, you can minister and be ministered to by someone. You may never see them again. If it's me, I'll probably forget your name. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. For that moment, you can be brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage one another. Uh, Thirdly, um, plugged into people, uh, worshiping together. Thirdly, um, think about the things that bother you at church. Okay? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure if I were to ask, is there something here that bugs you? All of us would raise our hand, because probably all of us have something here at CCF that just bugs us. Okay? Write down what bugs you, think carefully about what bugs you, and realize that that's probably the body calling you to service. If it bugs you, it's probably because you're supposed to be doing something about it. Usually what we do is we get bugged about it and we send the pastor emails saying, you need to fix that. And I'll send you back an email that says, okay, good idea. What are you going to do about it? How do you think you can be the solution? Oftentimes when we notice things and we become aware of things, it's because our gifting has made us tuned into that as a need. And, and we, by the Holy Spirit's guiding, He's saying, hey, you, Okay, that's your job. You're supposed to be taking care of that. Okay, you're supposed to be helping out. So what bugs you? Everybody's going, nothing bugs me. Nothing, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all good. Okay. Fourth thing. I really believe and uh, I'm convinced that much of what needs to happen in terms of body life cannot happen in large groups. It needs to happen in small groups. I really hope and pray that every person here, uh, especially if you're going to be here for six months or more, finds a home fellowship group, gets plugged into some kind of small community group 
Because many of the gifts, and, and as we look at the gifts over the next couple of weeks, many of the operations of the gifts really flourish and take their full force and impact in small group settings. You know, it just can't happen with 300, 400 people on a Sunday morning. It takes intimate, close relationships. Um, part of it means being tuned in enough in relationships to know when your brother is hurting. If we're going to have joy with those who have joy and have sorrow with those who have sorrow, we have to know enough about them to be knowing what's going on in their life. On Sunday morning, you know, we all come and you put on the happy face and you know, we don't really share our pain a lot and maybe not our joy a lot because maybe it's not always an ideal setting for that. But we need to be in small home fellowships, small Bible studies, small groups where we are connecting with a circle of believers that we are building deeper relationships where we are using our gifts to minister to them and likewise they are using their gifts to minister to us. Lastly, uh, we need to have a healthy balance. You know, we're not asking you to, you know, give up your job that you raised huge amounts of money and people are supporting you to come here to do so that you can just serve more in the church. We want to keep a balance, okay? We want to keep a healthy balance. Uh, it would be silly uh, to say, you know, you're here at this church, you should be spending 30 hours a week serving here. We're not saying that. That's not a good balance. But likewise, it is not a healthy balance for you to be spending all of your time in outwardly focused ministry and neglecting the body. Let me use this, this example while we're talking about the body. Uh, the point of all this is that if you serve your body well, it will serve you well. And that's true of our physical body. We must take care of our own physical body if it's going to serve us in doing God's work. I learned this, I learned this important lesson when I was about... Uh, 17 years old, running a very long race. It was a 23-mile race high in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, the foolish boy that I was, I had trained, I was in good shape for it, but I didn't realize how much water your body consumes at high altitude in a race like that. And so, for the first 15 or 16 miles, I drank hardly anything. Well, as a result, I went into hypovolumic shock, which means you know, your radiators boiled dry, basically. And it can kill you. And I'll tell you what, I was so sick, I wanted to die. I wanted to die in the worst way. And when I realized that I was dehydrated, I started drinking water like crazy. But because I waited too long, uh, my body started going into convulsions, and I couldn't keep down one drop of water. Not one drop. It was the, those last five miles, which I did finish, stupid as it was, were some of the most painful miles of my life, and I went home and for many hours was extremely ill. Okay, why? Because I didn't take care of my body. I didn't meet its very basic needs so that it could serve me to the end of the race. Look around you. These people in this room with you are your body. They can serve you well and help you fulfill your ministry. But you must take good care of it if it's going to take good care of you. That's the bottom line. If you ignore your body, you will burn out. You will not be effective. Uh, your life will not be fruitful. And in the end, you will probably leave this community 
very discouraged. I know that's true because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. People who refused to recognize that they were not alone, that they were a member of a body, and there was a support structure for them that God had provided in His grace to help them be effective in ministry. We just got to have balance in life. And part of that balance is having relationships within the body of Christ. Uh, Let's pray.